Hello, folks. Uh, maybe I should say hello, friends, uh, since you know we're going to talk about um, some things that uh, were on the golf telecast that CBS did in San Diego this uh, past weekend. But I'm I am uh, here for another edition of the Golf Guy, and thrilled to have my buddy um, and um, uh, Brady Riggs, uh, top hundred teacher Brady Riggs, who has been hanging his hat at Wallalai lately. Um, where he is um, uh, heading the uh, head, head, head teaching professional there and, and uh, at Golf House, um, which is a great follow on Instagram. Um, it's a lot of fun. And uh, that, that's been a neat thing. So, Brady, let's go ahead and get into it. You and I chatted a little bit about this, but um, uh, it, it certainly got everyone's attention um, this weekend um, with Patrick Reed. Um, so just, um, I think folks probably know about, but just to sort of set the stage a little bit, um, just the facts, uh, as they say, uh, to sort of lay them out is, um, uh, he, w and I was not watching it. So I wasn't watching the telecast Saturday. I just mm -hmm. saw what happened, but, um, he hits a shot left, um, he may have been on 10, but the, the ball, uh, and the telecast, you could see it bounced. Um, but. He approaches it. It's in the rough on the left, and it's very wet conditions there. They had quite a bit of rain on Friday, and he asked the volunteer uh, marshal, "You know, did it bounce?" I did not see it bounce, and so he goes over to the ball, um, and very quickly makes a decision that it's an embedded ball situation, picks the ball up, um, and um, again, I think this is just from video watching. It seems like he's fussing around with the area where the ball was, uh, picks it up. And at that point, with the ball removed, uh, he calls for a rule official um, who comes over. And um, basically, you know, Patrick says, you know, it had broke the um, ground. So that's the definition of, a, of an embedded ball. And um, you can come here and see it and just want to confirm that I'm doing this right or something along those lines. And and he goes ahead and, and takes the relief. Um, so, um, uh, and as I said, I did not see it live, but um, quite a firestorm erupted over this. And um, uh, so much so that interestingly, uh, you know, the, I, I did turn in, tune in Sunday, and I think it was the first five or 10 minutes of the telecast um, was devoted to this. You know, Jim Nance talked about it, and he turned to Nick Faldo, Frank Nabilo, Dottie, the whole crew went down the line asking their views on this. And um, but anyways, that's just sort of the, the basic facts. Um, I don't know if you saw it live. I know you're aware of it, of course. What were your thoughts on it? Well, at the very end, when last putt went in the hole in the last hole, um, the silence spoke volumes. Yeah. Um, Nance's Nance's I've never I mean to keep Jim Nance quiet is an impressive feat in and of itself um you know there's about 10 things he did wrong you know by the letter of the PGA Tours rules official he didn't do anything wrong but we've all played this game on a high level if you have and watched it for decades there's a bunch of things that were incorrect first you never palm a ball that's embedded ever and Hal Sutton had a problem with that today. I was looking at something on Twitter that he spoke about, like in, in all the decades he's played, it was always two fingers. And we all know it's two fingers. You pick the ball up, right. you don't palm it. You don't. And then if it, if it, after you pick it up out of what may be an embedded situation, you look at it, you'd put the ball back in. Right. You don't remove the ball and set it aside. You don't do that in that scenario. So that was, that's not like you're, it's not like your ball was in a bunker and you're moving it because your playing partner may hit your ball. That would be something you might put down somewhere so you don't touch it and palm it like he was palming, right? Or put it in your pocket accidentally. So that was totally incorrect. And the thing is to me, like somebody is either really wrong or somebody cheated. So here's what, here's what I mean by that. If you call the rules official over and you declare that it's embedded, all right. And you say, yeah, go ahead and feel in there and you can feel the lip where the ball went in. Well, we know the ball didn't embed because we saw the ball bounce. A ball doesn't embed in 
in grass dropped from 12 inches off the ground, which is how high the ball bounced out of the rock. That it was not embedded. We know that for sure, right? That is a guarantee. So if Reed is having him feel in there and he's feeling and and he feels what is ground broken, then the ground got broken somehow and it wasn't from the ball. Clearly, Reed was poking his fingers in there and doing whatever he was doing, which was not a good thing to be doing in that case. You would call the rules. If you're not sure, I'm going to check for an embedded ball. You put a tee down. You you pull the ball out. You can look. Oh, wow. That, that's definitely – I'm going to put it back in, calls the rules, official over, call everybody in the, in the group to check it out, right? They come over. They watch you. They look. they done. But you don't pull the ball out and stick your fingers in there for a while. I mean, it, it was a horrible look. So either Reed made it look like it was embedded or the rules officials incompetent. There is no other explanation to this, right? It's one of the two scenarios. His track record absolutely sucks. We all know what he's done in the past. We've watched it time and time again. Look at his peers on the tour, how they feel about it. You don't get that reputation accidentally. You know, those things happen for a reason. We all know the gravity in golf of somebody being accused of playing fast and loose with the rules. It's a, it's a reputation that you'll never, ever, ever get rid of if you have it. Right. And so something bad happened there, either incompetence or worse. And because of Reed's track record, he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt. And then any normal human being, I think any normal golfer, if put in the scenario that he was in, the overriding guilt, right, that you would have would probably make you completely incompetent the next day because you'd be so upset that you right. would feel like, oh, my God, I just can't believe I was in that situation. I, I'm embarrassed, you know, like right. you wouldn't be able to play well. The dude is so like narcissistic that it was like, oh, no problem. I did everything right. Like there's never any admission of fault. I mean, it's, I, I, I'm not going to stray into the areas I usually go with you, Larry, but I think you know where I'm going. So like, I don't know. It was just the whole situation was so bizarre and his reaction to it was so bizarre. And the kind of uniform response across the playing world, right. Of players, ex players, commentators, even Jim Nance spoke volumes to the situation. I mean, he's not doing himself any favors by not doing that a, as perfectly as he can do it. And once he screws around with that lie, I don't trust him. Do you Larry? Well, no, it's, you know, it's funny. Um, and, and, and uh, he made a big deal um, on Twitter um, of Rory on 18. And um, so, um, and again, I, you're going to know the facts better than I do because I wasn't watching, but apparently and it may have been after the telecast ended on, on Saturday that Rory hit his second shot on 15, uh, on 18, I think it was part five laying up and he hit it in the rough. And um, he went up and, and just said, you know, he just turned to his uh, playing parts, his balls embedded and I'm going to lift it. And I don't know if it bounced or not. I didn't, uh, I, but Patrick, I know tweeted something, you know, no one's bothering Rory about this. So um, but you know, Rory just doesn't have the reputation that Patrick does. Well, and that's sort of the point, right? I mean, the reason why they're bothering Patrick Reed about it is because Patrick Reed is Patrick Reed and Rory is Rory and Rory's never been one that anybody has ever had any question about on, on a golf course. Right. Patrick Reed, this is not overnight. You know what I mean? I mean, this has been going right. on since college. This stuff's well, I was going to say, I mean, college, and again, I don't know. I mean, so let's just maybe spend a minute to just fill in the background that you're alluding to. So the Hero World Challenge in 2019, he's in a bunker, fairway bunker, I think it was, and he took some back swings or, or some something, and it seemed like he was clearing a path um, for it, and, and that, that's not good. And then you alluded to the college stuff. I mean, and again, I don't remember the particulars, but definitely recall – you know, his teammates saying that, uh, talking about incidents um, when he was in college. So you're right. This is not news for him. And that's why he gets the blowback on something like this that he does. Yeah, it, it, I think Brandel had a very interesting take on it. 
and I don't know if you saw his take on it, but he basically I, I didn't. Said, I'm interested. What did he say? It was good. It was about three and a half minutes long. And what he said was he may not have been in violation of the letter of the law, but in golf, that's so not what we do, right? Right. It's just not what the game is. I mean, it's all about kind of, you don't even want to even have it look like you did something weird, you know? Like we're always so concerned about that. And, and most tour players, if not all, I'd say the vast majority of any competitive player I've ever met, they always want to err on the side of punishing themselves, right? right. Of, of not taking that drop because of the fact that you don't want to cheat the game and cheat yourself, you know? I mean, and eventually cheat the field. I mean, which is not really your concern. It always is an internal thing. Like if I do this and I get away with it, I know that I didn't earn it or I didn't, I didn't get what I, I was wrong to do that. You're, you're cheating the game and you can't cheat the game. We don't have, we don't have officials on every, you know, play in golf for a reason. We're supposed to be better than that. And when somebody is willing to kind of do whatever they need to do to help themselves, it's, it looks really bad for that person. I don't know that it looks horrible for golf in general because the vast majority of people that play golf, especially on the highest levels, would never do something that would be in any way construed as being cheat a cheater, right? That would be the you would hate for to be to be labeled that way. It would be a horrifying thing for you. So it, it's that part's a little disturbing that that he he just doesn't have any issue with that. It's like it just doesn't have any effect on the dude whatsoever. And it it matters. It matters to all of us. Like we all care about the game to that, to a level where we wouldn't want to do that. I mean, there's a reason why you rake a bunker, right? There's a reason why you do everything you do in golf. Like if you, even if you like get pissy on a green and I've done this for many, many years, but at at times we've all had our moments where you like accidentally do something on the green with a putter or something and you feel bad. Like, Oh my God, I got to fix that. You know, because you just don't want to leave it like that. You know, there's like a, there's a respect for the course. There's a respect for your playing partners. I mean, you're not even supposed to overtly root against anybody. You know, I mean, in every other sport, I'm going to cheat and break every rule possible to win. I will talk trash. I will, I, I will manipulate an official. I will do whatever it takes to help my, help me win. I will try and get everyone off their game as much as possible. Right. Did you work the sideline rest when you were coaching? Oh, soccer? are you kidding? I, yeah, of course I did. I mean, you just learn how to manipulate stuff all the time. And then in hockey, I used to do stuff all the time. And the basic point being like, you, there's an official there who's supposed to catch you. You know what I mean? So you felt like it was okay to kind of bend the rules to a certain degree. Like I would never take pine tar out and scuff a baseball. I feel like that's taking it too far, but yeah, I'm going to go cat and mouse and step out of the box, you know, when the pitcher wants to go. I'm, I'm going to play mind games as much as I can. But in golf, we're not doing any of that. That's sort of like out of bounds, like a gentleman's sport. We, we root for our opponents. We say good shot when somebody hits a good shot. If they have a putt for 20 feet, you don't wish, God, I hope this guy misses it overtly. Deep down, you're like, it wouldn't break my heart if it didn't go in, right? But you're just like, there's a whole level there that's not supposed to be there. And I applaud that about golf because I'm a cheater in every other sport that I play, but in golf, I'm not. And I just, it's just disappointing that somebody's willing to just do that. But I thought Nance's Nance most of the time says stuff from like, you know, okay, that was really cheesy. But the fact that he didn't say anything, wasn't that the weirdest thing ever watching? it? Oh, oh, totally. Well, that and the fact, I mean, look, um, you know, um, I guess, I guess we can put Johnny Miller maybe as an exception, but I mean, most commentators in golf are just all super positive, super supportive, you know, um, you know, I suppose maybe that's true with commentators generally in, in a lot of sports, but golf more than anything else, you just rarely hear somebody come out and be just critical of a player. And, and I think, um, you know, maybe because I associate Johnny over the years with NBC, I mean, CBS, especially there's, oh, they're just very, very positive. I mean, you know, um, Frank Nabilo, I mean, they're all fine folks, but they're just very positive, particularly since they, you know, um, you know, got rid of uh, a couple of the folks they did who were a little more colorful 
um, shall we say, uh, mm. you know, there's sort of very much um, just down the middle of the fairway, you know, very positive all the time. And um, uh, so, so with that backdrop, that was so striking to me Sunday when I listened to those first 10 minutes, because I mean, for them to even, I mean, they weren't like trashing him by any stretch, but for them to even be as I'll say semi-critical of him is such a sea change from the way they normally are. And, and you're right about the silence at the end. And, and, you know, I like Dottie Pepper's line, you know, they turn to her I and mean, she's on the course. So they go down the commentators and, and then they go to Dottie and she basically said, look, I'll put it this way. You know, the game of golf, you know, you play the course as you find it and you play the, the ball as it lies. And that's the game of golf. And that didn't happen here. I mean, I thought that was a pretty pithy way of, or something to that effect. I mean, it's a pretty pithy way of sort of putting it. So I thought that was neat that, uh, and, and interesting. And CBS, you know, actually grappled with this controversy Sunday. And, and, and I give them credit for that. What do you, and, and just, but you said a few minutes ago, you know, this is, you know, isolated in terms of the pros as a whole. I agree with that. Um, and, you know, it doesn't necessarily speak badly of golf as a whole. I agree with that. Um, what about the tour, though? I mean, you know, is are they protecting this guy because he's such a top player? Do we feel like they should have, you know, gone actually and slapped a penalty or, on him or something or or, or I, and I, 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 you know, because frankly, I guess mm. be, to go to the physics, which you did at the start, right? <clears throat> it doesn't really, it's not an intent question, right? It's a question of whether the ball broke, you know, the ground. And so if you want to say, well, gee, he thought it had, you know, that's to me irrelevant. I mean, the fact is, the question is, did it break the ground or not? And, you know, if it bounced, it just seems physically impossible for it to have broken the ground to come from, I mean, I suppose if it bounced off a car path and came down from a hundred feet, but from the ground coming down, as you say, from a foot, how does that break ground? Um, and so, and even he said that. So I, I don't, I, I'm just curious. I mean, does the tour come out looking kind of bad in this, that they weren't um, a little more, um, I don't even know if I'd say aggressive, but a little more, you know, um, firm on this with him? Or what do you think? Well, I think, like you said, difficult to get to the intent question, right? But like you just said, the ball clearly wasn't embedded on its own. So there's something went wrong there. And then the way that it was like, oh, no, all's good. He did great. We we're, couldn't be happier with how he, that, that was all BS. And we all knew it. And that's the thing that bugs me because I wish they would have said, Look, by the rule, he didn't break the rule. But by removing the ball and putting it aside, the, the, the way it went down is not the way we want it to happen. And we need to go over that with the players again and just make sure everybody understands. Do not pull the ball out. If it's embedded, make sure somebody else is there looking at it and watching it happen at the time that it's happening, that you're checking it out. If you feel like you pull it out and it's embedded, put it back in. We need to go over kind of the way we want that done. And right. our rules officials need to, to make sure that they're reiterating that to the, like they could have done something to just acknowledge that. Right. Okay. If, if, if what the players, if the expectation of the, of the field in general is that X happens, right. And then Y happens, but Y is okay something's off there. There's a disconnect right. between what the majority of the players are, are doing on a daily basis and what happened in this particular case. But there was also some CYA there going on too. But I think the thing that's frustrating to me is like, I want to, I wish I knew from the rules official, did you feel a, a hole there? Honestly, if you felt a hole there, it could not have been made by that ball. Go in the backyard right now. I don't care where you are. Okay, if you've got enough grass in the backyard, that rough was thick, right? It's not like yeah, it's well, going very, straight down to very, the mud. No, it's, it's very, very, thick, very right. thick. So go out in the backyard, drop your ball from your the middle of your shin because that's about as high up as it was. And tell me if that ball plugs in the grass. It's not going to. And then pull the ball out and see what kind of indentations there. How much does the ball weigh? Right? Yeah, it would it's have to be, again, object. I'm... 
Yeah, it would have it's not to like be. A, it wasn't like a shot put that they dropped in, right? We're talking a golf ball. There's no way that buries. So how in the heck did the rules official get called over and then confirm that he felt a lip down there where the ball had broken the ground? That's just physically not possible. So either the rules official was just poorly trained and did a bad job and didn't feel what he said, or he did feel something there. And if he felt something there, you don't, this is a classic circumstantial evidence case, right, Larry, the, the attorney? Yeah, yeah. Right? Sure person is. gets out of the, okay, your person's sitting in the, in the, on the beach chair next to the pool with water dripping from them and footsteps from the pool to the, to the chair, right? And drying themselves off and nobody else is around you didn't need to see them in the water to determine that they just got out of the water because the water is moving i mean we can tell well the only person in the in the in the vicinity of this ball and being plugged so either that or somehow by the grace of who knows who the ball happened to jump out of its original pitch mark 12 inches it moved over and came off the ground and landed in somebody else's pitch mark in the ground that had previously embedded this is the story we're going with this is well, what i want to know and we're so never going to know but it drives me crazy we're, we're this is like factually science wise either like i said either somebody's lying somebody cheated or somebody's just bad at their job well I, let me offer a third possibility oh that i need that this I, I'm, I'm, excited. I'm not gonna i'm i'm, I'm not going to say this happened but i mean at some point if the ground is soft enough, okay, um, muddy enough, soft enough, you know, I'm sure we could get it soupy soft enough, muddy enough, that if we drop something from 12 to 18 inches, it would plug. But I would, I would then say to you, for the ground to have been that wet, they wouldn't be playing. I mean, you you would you would basically have you know casual water all over the place. I mean, you'd have to have it that soupy, I think, for it to, or muddy. You know what I'm saying for the ball to sort of actually penetrate. Um, and you, it Larry, let me ask you the question: Have you played on Kukuya, yeah. Larry? Yes, I, I think I have once, once or twice in your life, right? Just yes, a couple times. Yeah. How's that Kukuya? A couple rough thousand doing? times. Is that Kukuya that? rough? Kind of is the Kukuya rough a little thick? No, I understand. I mean, it's it's that that's the other point is that no matter how soupy the ground is, you have to get to the ground, and and to get to the ground from twelve inches would be surprised. I don't disagree with that. And that's sort of that's sort of I I know we beat this into the ground, but basically, like he, it, the problem with this, it, you let's ask Gary Player, right? We, you know, there's a lot of players you can ask about this. It never goes away, ever goes away. And anybody, I, I would say that the vast majority of players that have ever played on the PGA Tour, they can all tell you a scenario where they kind of went back and they, they could have done something. You know what I mean? And they didn't do it. Yeah. And yeah. it it's kind of one of those things. I always tell junior golfers this. I tell them it's never a decision to make whether or not you're going to do the right thing on the golf course. You've already made that decision before you ever go out there. So when there's a situation that's in question, you just automatically you're going to do it because you've already made the decision to play by the rules. You don't have to be, there's no like moment where you're having to, well, should I? No, you do always do the right thing. You just do the right thing. I, I, I was playing the state open. I was 21 years old stayed open. I missed the green to the right in Bakersfield at Rio Hondo country club back in the day. I forget what hole it was, but I blew it right. Of the, somehow I pushed an iron. It's hard to imagine, but I missed the green. I right. Believe, in, me too. I, it must've hit something, but I missed the green side bunker to the right. Okay. So I've got a flop shot over the bunker and I've got no green to work with. So I'm in the rough. So, you yeah. know, I lay the, I lay the L wedge, the uh, classic, you know, ping i2 l wedge wide open ping i2 right right yeah. and back then we didn't have good technique so the feet were aiming to like way too far left and face so i'm going to cut across it you know because that's what we were taught and somehow try and get lucky and i managed somehow to go completely under the ball full-blooded lob swing lob wedge swing wide open club face i mean i got nothing 
I just chopped the legs out from underneath it and the ball went down into the divot that I hit it from. Oh God. Now, nobody really, you know, they were up on the green getting ready. Everybody was playing their shots. You know, nobody was really paying attention to me. So now it's in the divot that I just created, which was really nice. So then I hit that up like 30 feet and I made it. And so I walked off the green, guys, that was a hell of a par. I'm like, no, it was a hell of a bogey. And he goes, what happened? I'm like, I whiffed it. I tried to hit a lob shot and my club went right under the ball. You know, it was unbelievable. And the reason why I didn't say it was a par was because it wasn't. And I had already decided right. long before that, that right. I was never going to have a problem with that because I was always going to do the right thing. And, and I just feel like somewhere I try and teach this every junior I've ever taught. Nobody taught Patrick Reed this lesson, apparently, because he was willing to brush the sand back at the hero. And he, he's done stuff like this in his entire career. And it's just, it's going to follow him. I don't care what else he wins. It makes no difference. Captain America, BS, whatever. It, you know what? It's perfect Captain America right now. That makes perfect sense. I, I, I'm all in on, on his new nickname or his nickname. I, it, it works that's for a, me. That's a, that's, a, <laughs> that's a perfect place to end that. That, that was well done, Brady. That was I well done. I, I, I was waiting for that to sort of some circle around that was that was right. Let me ask you. That's great. Let me ask you about a couple other things. So um, you're at Walleye. You just had the senior tour event out there, won yes. by Darren Clark. Um, and uh, I, you know, you. I mean, you and I have you've given me lessons for a long time, and I've always been struck that uh, that Darren Clark is someone who you think is a good model to use. Um, <clears throat> Now, I, I mean, you used it a lot with me, but not hopefully not just with me. I think generally you think it's a good swing. There's a lot of teachable aspects, if I'll use that term, from that swing. So I'm wondering if you could maybe talk a little about that. What is it about his swing that you think is valuable to use as um, uh, to get across a few key points in the swing to, uh, to amateurs? Well, I think he does a couple of the things that I'd love to see mechanically. One he moves his body before the club twice. And I think that's really important. So he doesn't start the club back club head first. He basically triggers by going to his right with all of himself, right knee, right thigh, right hip, head, chest, everything. So he basically is moving across away from the target before the club head goes back. I think that's an, an excellent way to start very athletic gets the chain of events going real well, the connect chain that we want to have. The next thing that happens is before he reaches the top of the backswing, he's moving again back towards the target ahead of the club head. So he does that twice in the swing. I think most amateurs tend to either do it once or twice really bad. They'll either start the club head back first without their body and that rips it inside, or they'll start the club head down first without their body and that causes a million other problems. So that just fundamental thing of having the body go, then the club going back and then having the body go, then the club coming down, I think is an excellent sequence. I like that he doesn't have a ton of left wrist flexion at the top. I think most people, you know, it's all the rage between DJ and Rom and Morikawa now right. that we all have to right. have our right. left wrist inflection at the top. Right. Bode right. for us old timers, right? Bode. Right. So if we don't have that, we can't clearly can't play golf. Uh, somebody forgot to tell a few really good players about that, but you know, that's, a, that's all the rage and Clark never really has been that guy. He's always kept a little slight bend in the left wrist at the top, which I prefer. And I think his geometry is really good. And what I mean by that is in the takeaway, the club heads a little outside his hands that helps the shaft come up a little more vertically in the transition. The left arm rotates a little because the body started first and that lays the shaft a little flatter than it was going up. Right. And then on the way through, he does two things I love. One is club head flies by him beautifully. He throws the club head through the ball in, in the fashion that we see with all great players. You can read as much low left stuff through the ball as you want, but everybody's throwing the club by whether they fade it or draw it. And then he does a really interesting thing with his eyes. He's very much like Annika and Duval, uh, Charles Warren, Joe Durant, Henrik, Henrik Stenson. Henrik, my right. favorite. Yeah. Henrik's great swing. All guys whose eyes 
follow the ball out or even precede the ball. DJ does that as well with his irons, short irons right, especially. Right. And so what that does, it keeps your body rotating through the shot a little better, which is a good thing for some people that get a little stuck. So there's a lot to copy there from, from Clark. I love the way he plays golf. It, he doesn't take a lot of time out there. He plays he plays quickly, you know. It's just the way they do it on the continent, right? So he puts right. it in the ground and rips it. He enjoys his golf. A great story here from Hawaii. He One of the first things he did when he got here, you know, we're a Four Seasons resort, so obviously, you know, it's it's pretty swanky, nice joint. And Clark uh, called the concierge and he said, is there some place on property that I can drink and smoke at the same time? Because <laughs> you can't smoke in the room or the bar or anything. And they said, uh, probably on the course. <laughs> so, you know, that's Clark. Like, he, he he's just great on that's the range, funny. super nice smiling and laughing the whole time worked really hard i got to give him credit like he spent some time out there working on his mechanics and practicing on the days before the tournament and then after the round so he's just i think he's exactly what golf should be right has a great time plays quickly swings in a way that that the everyday guy can can copy to a certain degree um doesn't get bent out of shape by some bad shots and, you know, just enjoys the heck out of himself out there. I, I think he was terrific to watch. Everything I always kind of saw from afar and thought about him was confirmed when I saw him in person. That's cool. And that must have been neat having, I mean, there's a great field, a lot of great players. That must have been fun to watch all those folks up close like you were able to the last, when they were out there. Yeah. I mean, it, longer work ethic is very German, you know, like regimented like the dude is just on top of everything it's amazing how specific his practice is and how hard he works mike weir couldn't be a nicer guy he was here a couple weeks before the event the most like generous unassuming no ego just a just a terrific dude really really good guy very nice to meet him vj really good dude like i never had i i've never really met vj and talked to him for any extended period of time couldn't be a nicer guy sandy lyle was telling me all about the masters this year and how what it was like to play you know winter masters and how it was so different and how he said he got he got a little he had some tough breaks in terms of the starts and stops from weather and that he had like he said he hit five wood into 17 and 18 because he was playing with the wind going the wrong way and so he was really great. I mean, it's fun for me because I, you know, these are the guys that I watched playing growing up and that were, you know, kind of my era of golf. So that was really fun. Right. Right. But I'll tell right. you one more story if I could, Larry. Yeah. I think you'll really like this. So when I was 11 years old and I was at my first LA Open at Riviera, Hale Irwin, for some reason, was my guy. I loved watching Hale. Really? Play. That's so interesting. I don't yeah. know why. He just, it was intriguing and he was super nice. So like I followed him around for three days like watched him go from the green to the tee and, you know, he'd give me a high five going through the crosswalks, you know, and super nice, you know, and he, and he just like, you know, talked to me in between. It was really nice. Like, I, you know, how would you think of that shot? And you know, For no reason other than, you know, he was just a nice dude to people. And I never got to say thank you for that. And I, oh, and then and the, after the last round, what he did is he took me up to the clubhouse and putted with really? me on the putting green and helped me with my putting. I was 11 years this old. Is, this is during the tournament? This is the last, yeah, during the LA Open. This is 1981, uh, something like that. Couldn't have been a nicer wow. guy. Wow. I never, I never got a chance to say thank you. And so, he, you know, he's a legend here in Hawaii. You know, everybody loves Hale. Hale played this event 25 years in a row. And... So I was excited because he was going to come play. And I got, I got a chance to meet his son first and tell him the story. It was really nice. Well, then Hale came and I, I was like, I got a chance to say, to go meet my, meet Hale Irwin again. And so I walked up and I said, you know, I've been looking for you for 40 years. <laughs> and he goes, what? I'm like, I'm not kidding. Like 40 years ago, you did this incredible thing for me. And I told him the story and he said, yeah, you know, I have a reputation for not being the nicest guy to adults, but I love kids. And I told him, I said, you know, I said, what's great about that is that, you know, this wasn't a one-off for him. Right. He did this probably 
hundreds oh, right. and hundreds right. and hundreds of times, right? Over the long right. career that he's had. And, and I told him, I said, not only did you make an impact on me, but every player I've ever taught that has gone on to play professionally, I've told him the story of you and what you did for me. And I told them the story of Johnny Miller and what Johnny Miller did in that same event to a bunch of kids that were asking for an autograph. And he walked by them like they were lower than pond scum and mm. just didn't give them the time of day. And it's amazing when you think of the reach that those two guys had through that one moment in time that they both took to impact right, right. people. And I always try and explain this to oh, people. Yeah. So I told Hale, I said, thank you from the bottom of my heart, but also think about the reach you've had to everybody that you ever did that with and all the players that I've taught and that they've talked to about it. And, you know, it's, it's why it's so frustrating to bring it back to Patrick Reed again, that he misses this opportunity to see the impact that he can have and the, to carry the legacy of the game forward of being a gentleman and, and caring about, you know, all the things that we love about golf. So for me, being able to see Hale Irwin and meet him in person and do all that made my entire week. It was just fantastic. So uh, I, if I ever get a chance to see him again, it was funny. I saw him right after the tournament. He was out playing with his wife, Jay Haas, and his wife two or three days later in the rain. And it never rains at Walleye, but he's out there playing in the rain. They're hanging out in the first hole, and I was quite a distance away. And I'm like, wow, that's a pretty good swing. Then I drove up, you know, about a half a hole away. I'm like, oh, that's why it was a pretty good swing. It was Hale Irwin. <laughs> so the dude's and, and what and and what a senior career. I mean, obviously, I mean, you know, three U.S. Opens was great too. But what a senior career. I mean, probably as you know, I, I mean, longer may come close in terms of his total victory. But I mean, as one of the great senior careers of all time. I mean, he would have been in a hall with three U.S. Opens and his regular record. I mean, I think he's a Hall of Famer, anyways. But I mean, the the senior tour stuff has been unbelievable. He was for so long so good. Yeah, these guys impressed me. I'm not a big Champions Tour guy watching on TV. I got to be honest, but they were great. They were across the board, very generous and really cool with every all the fans and took time. Like a couple of them, absolutely were you know way more willing to talk than I had anticipated. Interesting, which was great. Well, you know so I'm, I think they're carrying yeah. the mantle quite well. I'm curious, just you know, because you spend, you know, as folks know, I mean, you, uh, among others, teach Brandon Hagee. So you're out periodically on the regular tour, the PGA Tour. So now that you've had this up close look at the Champions Tour, and it's interesting to hear you talk about how, how you know, folks are in terms of um, uh, friendliness and everything and stuff like that. It's got to be a different vibe on the PGA Tour, right? I would assume you don't see that degree of, um, uh, I don't know if friendliness is the right word, but, you know, that that sort of same vibe on the PGA Tour, do you? No, you don't. I mean, I think, not that there's not great guys out there, but I think at this point in their careers, I was surprised how hard they were working. It was very interesting. I, I did not expect guys to be grinding as much as they were on the range and working in the practice area. I thought it was very cool to see that they really, really care yeah. about how they play. Obviously, they're, you know, they, they're, their ego's involved and they want to beat their friends. And But at this point, I mean, this is like, this is golf heaven if you're on the Champions Tour. Right. I mean, think about it. You're, you have, you know, there's a limited field. There's no cut. You have three days you're hanging with all your friends that you've played with forever and ever and ever. There's no pressure. You know, you're out here just having a great time. You still get to do the thing you love to do. I mean, it is, it is the lottery of golf. You know, if you get to be out here on the champions tour playing the PGA tour guys, rightfully so are grinding, you know, they're absolutely grinding there. This is a lot of them. This is, it could be their last chance year on tour, right? They've lost their card a couple of times or, you know, you could have coming off an injury and, they're all their careers are either just starting, you know, in the middle of it or coming to the twilight of it, whatever it is. So you get all number of different spaces and places that people are in emotionally, financially, professionally. But on the champion store, that's not the case. These guys are all they've all won plenty of golf tournaments, plenty of money. It's a good place to hang out. You know, it's like it's it's definitely they're not out here worried about the result that much. They're having a good time. Were you impressed by the quality of the play? 
Yes. I was impressed by the quality of the plan. I was, I was surprised at the length of the golf course. They played it back. They played it all the way back. I mean, this was 7,100 yards stretched out. And, you know, it's not a short golf course from the back tees. And they were playing it all the way back in the wind and shooting, you know, 16 under par this year. And usually they're in the 20s under par. But they changed right. the greens here. They're a lot firmer and have more slope now than they did before. But, I mean, they're shooting some very, very good scores. I mean, we're shot 59 in the Pro-Am. Really? Wow. Yeah, shot 59 in the Pro-Am. So these guys are taking it deep. I mean, they're very, very good players still. You know, it's not like they're, the play has dropped. And I think that's why when you see longer go play the Masters, you know, and, and Mickelson, like, you know, when he came out, he won obviously the first couple starts, but like the level of play out here is, it's, it's out here, I say, because they were here, but on the champions tour is not bad at all. I mean, they're playing long golf courses. There's a lot of good players out there. There's some guys that can really still play. I mean, I, I, there's been Ryder cups, right. Where we were both wondering along the way, well, they maybe should take, you know, that champions tour player, whoever it was at the time, because he was playing really good. You know, there's no question that these guys, a lot of these guys can bring it. They're still very effective. KJ Choi, for example. Yeah. KJ Choi can that guy can play. I mean, Darren Clark can bomb it. Clark's deep. He's a big boy. He can hit it very, very far. So it it's impressive to watch. They all they all have game. Make no mistake. That's cool. Well, that's cool that you had that opportunity. Well, let me let me uh, uh, talked a lot about this, and I don't want to keep you too long. But there's one other. Um, Back to the PGA Tour. One other thing, I'm just sort of curious your take. Now we're getting, I always want to say we're getting started with the year. Of course, with the wraparound season, we're already well into the season. But I mean, I always think of it as calendar year. Um, and, and you know, we're heading towards, as we always do this part of the year, the Masters. And um, the, um, uh, I want to ask you about two people quickly, and then we'll, we'll, we'll let you go. So, um Rory is somebody there's been a lot of chatter about lately. I mean, he's so uber talented um, and he hasn't really been closing the deal on Sundays. I mean, this particular Sunday, he wasn't directly in contention, but, you know, the Dubai tournament, other things. I mean, he hasn't really um, hasn't really been winning much. Um, And I think, you know, uh, you know, it's it's funny to think back 2014. That's you know, six plus years ago is when he won his last major, when he had that great year. And, um, and I know it's, look, he, he's a, a tremendous player, a hall of famer. I mean, you know, but I'm curious sort of what your take is on that. I mean, cause it is a little surprising. You expect someone with that talent still in the prime of their career to be, um, kind of in the winner's circle a little more, wouldn't you think? I would, I think he expects it more too. You know, I think it's interesting that he, him and both him and Spieth are in weird places in their career. You yeah. know, Rory's clearly playing much better than Jordan Spieth, but they're getting sure. sort of the right. same results. Right. right. Neither of them are winning golf tournaments right now. Right. Right. I mean, Spieth won majors much more recently than than Rory yeah, back to right right that's for sure so right. it's weird because we always think well Rory Rory's gonna win this week or Rory Rory hasn't won much you know and sometimes like you can try too hard you know it can be too important you can be too smart I mean DJ how many years in a row has he won on tour right like I think it's well it's double digits I know I lose track whether it's 12 or crazy. 13 it, it's crazy. it's crazy like like he just DJ wins sort of like accidentally, you know, like, Oh, I won. You know, it's like, it's not even dawning on him that he's winning. He's just really, really good, you know? And it just doesn't seem to be like the most important thing in the whole world to him. And you just get the sense that Rory deep down, he's Irish, you know, like there's tragedy awaiting, you know, as even <laughs> Lynch would say, my friend, so like, it just, he just, it's like, uh, is he destined to just never win the masters? Is this just the Irish story that we're going to have with Rory? He's not going to do it. I mean, 
five years ago, nobody would have ever thought in a million years that he wasn't going to be the, the next guy after Tiger to win the Grand Slam, the career Grand Slam. Right. But, right. Wow. Like, it's just, I don't know. I feel with Rory, like he, I think Rory's going to be really good for a long time still, you know? Like, I don't think we're going to see Rory, like, burn out, flash in the pan, be done. I feel like Rory's going to win. He may be that guy that wins a lot more tournaments in his 30s than he did in his late 20s. I think he's, I think he could be that guy. He's not going to struggle for length. He takes great care of himself. He hits yeah, it plenty far. I think it's oh, maybe sure. sometimes the spotlight isn't on, will Rory finally, every time he goes to play, I think. I think we could see Rory string off a few amazing years where he, you know, wins 15 times and a couple, two or three more majors. I, I just feel like right now, it seems like every year, every major is, we're disappointed when Rory doesn't win it on Sunday, but he seems right. to be always around it, you know? So maybe he just hasn't had enough luck. Maybe he's just wants it too bad, wherever that is. But I feel like he's going to, he'll, he'll get there. I really think he's going to win the Grand Slam, the career Grand Slam at some point. He's just maybe in a little bit of a lull right now and, and a little, a couple more years and, you know, a little more maturity and experience in life. And he'll be, he'll be where we all expected him to be. He's too talented not to, I think. So you have a, so I'll, I'll end with this guy. I was actually going to ask you about someone else, but you let's, let's stick with who you mentioned, which is Jordan. Um, so you, you sort of have a, a bottom line, Rory's going to be just fine. And, you know, it's a little lull and stuff. And, and you're quite right. Rory and um, Rory's playing still, and even without it being in the winner's circle, a lot better than Jordan. Jordan is just, you know, seemingly fallen off the face of the earth almost. And, and um, in terms of stringing stuff together for four rounds in a tournament, raised a few eyebrows that he had Butch take a look at his swing Um Although Butch was adamant that, you know, he it was just another pair of eyes and he's not working with um, Jordan and stuff. But what is your prognosis? Now, you know, we're sitting here now three and a half years past that unbelievable British Open and those last few holes when he, you know, made one of the world's great bogey on that hole and then just went bananas coming in. Uh, and uh, but that's three and a half years ago. Um, and, um, you know, he's out of the top 50, I think, um, oh, yeah. last time I saw, um, so this is a much more precipitous fall. I mean, than you know, Rory, than it, you know, Rory's still very highly ranked, obviously. What do you, what's your prognosis on, uh, Mr. Spieth? Well, it's interesting because not to add another person to it, but I feel like him and Ricky are are going in the same, they're on the same car bus ride right now, which is nowheresville. You know, they're both really struggling with their games to find any form at all. And it's hard. You're in the, you, you become in a transition place where you say, okay, do I go back to the things that made me good to begin with? Or have I done that and it still isn't working and do I need to move on to something different? to maybe shake things up to get me where I want to be. And I know Cameron McCormick is not a stupid guy. And I know him and Jordan are, they have probably turned over every leaf they can think of. They probably looked at, I can't even imagine how many swings and how many, how many videos and how many, how, all the stats. And it, it, it just, it shows you how hard golf is, you know? Yeah. And so when you have some funk in your mechanics and not bad funk, but you've got a little funk like Duval did when he kind of went South and Ricky clearly has an unusual swing. Jordan had some weirdness in his swing. It it's hard to start making changes because there's a lot of variables at play. It's not a like teacher's, there's low hanging fruit and then there's complications, you know? <laughs> and if you have a really, really good player who's super neutral and they're hitting the ball too much from right to left and the ball starting in the general area where they wanted to, then you're like, okay, the path's too far to the right. 
We just got to get the club swinging to the left a little bit more. It'll go straighter. It doesn't take much to fix guys like that. There's low maintenance guys. And then there's players that are not low maintenance where they have a lot of moving parts and you try to fix one thing and it really can screw other things up. And then you don't know where you were, you know, and those are the ones that are, you worry about as a coach because you don't want to say the wrong thing and work on the wrong thing because you can, right. you can go down an unrecoverable tailspin. Right. So I feel like right now that I have no idea. I wouldn't know what to tell Jordan, to be honest. I would not know what to tell him. I would just, he's going to know if what they're working on is, is seeming to have a benefit and giving him what he needs. And if he doesn't, then he's got to make a decision to try to do something else. And there's this whole other issue, Larry, which is, is it good in the practice rounds? Is it good in the, on the range? Is it good the week of a t- off week? And then it's not good during the tournament. That's a whole nother problem. And we see this all the time with players. I've seen it with players that I work with where the practice rounds, they're hitting it great. The off week, they shoot 63, you know, everything's really good. And they get in a tournament and all of a sudden the same old misses there are, and they hadn't hit that miss since the last tournament. And the week and a half you've been working with them in between, they never did it one time. So then you're in a whole nother problem. Like, okay, what's going on in their head in terms of their, I was their feeling say, that, that tells you it's mental, not physical, right? Something's triggering a bad swing. Something, something under the pressure is triggering an instinct that's wrong that can't even be duplicated on their practice area. You know, like they can't, they can't even do it wrong practicing. They get in a tournament and it comes out. And that's a whole nother problem. You can see how it's complicated, you know, and, and to be honest, we're all guessing to a certain degree. You know, you can have all the tech you want. You want to put gears on and we can get the swing cat out and we can have foresight track man and flight scope and we can do hack motion for the wrist and you name it. We can get that. But we ultimately are all sort of flying a little bit blind on we may know exactly what's wrong, but how to fix it is really, really hard. And these guys are world class athletes and players and you mess up one little thing the wrong way and it could really be an unrecoverable spin so i root for him he's a great kid i like cameron mccormick i think they're really good for teachers for our profession i think jordan's great for the game i really wish he'd play well i think it'd be really good for for the game to have him back competing he hasn't he has just sort of an enthusiasm in, when he's in, when he's in sort of a competitive space, that's great to see, but man, it's hard. It's really, really tough. And the fact is, I think nobody really has an answer. Everybody has ideas, you know, ideas are everywhere, but answers are hard to come by. And it, that's probably the hardest thing about this profession, teaching tour players. And for those guys that are struggling to get the answers really, really tough. You know what the problem is? We see the problem, but it's just, it doesn't seem like there's a, it's not like, well, yeah, you have 10 teachers, right? You take 10 top teachers in the world and they all look at Jordan's swing right now. And they all were asked, okay, give us, give us a synopsis of what you think he needs to work on, how he needs to do that. They'd all come up with the same conclusion as to what was wrong, right? What's going on with the contact and the ball flight and all that stuff. You'd have 10 different answers for sure on what to do. And how do you as a player pick the right one? Knowing, knowing very well that you can pick something that would make you worse. Right. I mean, it's a really horrible scenario to be in. That's why like, it's better if you have somebody who's quirky to leave them alone and let them be themselves and understand through taking a lot of video and talking to them and having them write down stuff that they work on when it's going well, so that when it goes off, you can just go right back. You have a history of what they've done really well. And if you don't have that, then it can be like, what were we doing when you were hitting really good in Wichita last year? I don't know. I don't remember. You know, and then you're just, it's just tough. It's a hard thing. And I, I feel so bad for him because he's such a good kid. And I just, I root for him. And we, we all have seen it, right? If you've been around this game long enough, we all know the story of Eden Baker Finch, right? 
What's Ian Baker Finch famous for, Larry? Um, outside of being critical for the first time on a telecast about Patrick Reed Sunday, um, doing something that having been there once, I wouldn't think was physically possible, which is standing on the first tee at the old course and hitting it out of bounds out off 18. Um, that's a double fairway and there's a lot of room there. That's a long way left. So think about that shot and what that has done to his career. I mean, we forget that the guy did win a major championship. The 91 U.S. Open with an incredible, I think he shot 29 on the front niners. I mean, just just incredible golf. Yeah, for sure. So and, like it's, it's, and it's not like he, he wasn't one of these. It isn't the only thing he's won either. I mean, you know, he, no, he, he won tournaments. I mean, it just, it just, well, I, I agree. I mean, it's just, just overnight, it seemed like he was gone. And, and, and he is kind of, and he's not the only example we can think of, but he's kind of what I have in my head a little bit when I see Jordan, um, just because I just would echo everything you said. I mean, I just love the guy. Um, he just seems like such a nice, genuine guy. Um, it was so much fun when he was, you know, in there and, 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 and look, I mean, in the, what was he three shots away from the grand slam in 2015? I think maybe more. I mean, he was second place to the PGA. Jason Day really had a great tournament there, but, um, second place there and his one shot out of the playoff, I think at, at St. Andrews when Zach won in 2015. So just tremendous. Those first few years, just tremendous. I mean, that whole bunker shot. At yep. Hartford, um, you know, with just um, I never tire of watching the reaction with him and Greller and stuff. And, um, you know, and I thought in 2016 that the scars that could be there from what he did at number 12 at Augusta. But then he comes back in 2017 and wins the British and in such a spectacular fashion. So, yeah, I, I agree. With you. I just what I just don't know. And again, this, you know, I you're, you're way better situated to judge this than me. But. You know, McCormack and him have worked forever. And and so he was his teacher was there when he was doing all these great things. And you would think you could get back to that, but you know, apparently not. It's it sounds like it's such an easy thing to do, you know. Like I teach a tennis professional who I adore, great guy who was a world-class tennis player. He, he used to beat Jim Courier in Florida when they were kids growing up. He was a wow. great, great tennis wow. player. And he's a terrific tennis coach, really great tennis coach. And he tries to play golf. And he is just endlessly infuriated by golf. Because he's like, you know, you don't forget how to hit a topspin forehand. Because you just don't forget that. You don't, like, you, everybody knows how to hit a topspin forehand. It's not like you stop hitting the topspin forehand well. It's not like you can't hit a slice back in. He goes, but in golf... <laughs> the best players in the world can all of a sudden not be able to hit the driver. He goes, how in the hell is that possible? I'm like, cause it's hard. You know, it's like, we're trying to do something that really should, you know, never forget the origin of the game. Right. I mean, it was invented by drunk Scotsmen herding their sheep across the highlands, whacking rocks with sticks, right. Passing the time. And we're here trying to make it scientific. I mean, it just, it, we get what we deserve trying to make golf something that it's not. <laughs> and I think, you know, never lose sight of how really difficult this game is. And, you know, that's why none of us, if we've played long enough, none of us ever say when asked when we're playing well, oh, I'm playing great right now. Nobody ever says that, that knows better, right? Well, none right. of us say that. We all say, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm just one shot at a time, just trying to hang in there. You know, because you know, around the corner at any moment, you know, tragedy can, can, can reveal itself on you and you're back in the abyss, you know, not knowing what the heck is going on. We, we've all been there. And I just, I think like, sometimes you forget that you were good. You forget that you were really good. Like when you're really good, you're not even thinking about what you're doing half the time. You're like, right. Oh, right. I got to hit a flop shot up a tight lie on a down slope over the bunker and land it within a three foot circle to get the ball near the hole. Sure. Watch this, right? And then later you have all the information in the world and you can't hit it because you just can't execute it anymore and you've hit enough bad shots. You have enough bad history that right. that's what you're thinking about. And, you know, maybe at this point, 
he's getting to that horrible place where your expectation isn't that you're going to execute, it's that you're not. And yeah, unfortunately, I, to be. I worry that that's exactly where he is. Well, let's hope uh, 2021, we have a lot of hopes for 2021, but on the golf tour, let's hope maybe he can hopefully turn around. Brady, as always, great catching up with you, great spending the time, and um, uh, in, enjoy Hawaii. I, uh, I'm managing to do so, just like Darren Clark. You know, Darren Clark said he's never been accused of not being able to have a good time. I feel like when you're in Hawaii, if you're not having fun, it's your fault for sure. So no, everything's good here. And wish you were here, Larry. You I wish tan, I was too. Clearly. I wish. You're, I, you're I will be there too. as soon as I can, my friend. Thank you. I'm going to stop it, it now. Thanks very much, Brady.